on to the dogs, your fortnightly dose of greyhound racing interviews, insights and a whole lot more with your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode 22 of Gone to the Dogs. As always, I am Danny Jackson and my co-pilot is... Joe. Hello, everybody. Danny, how you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. I'm uh, very busy. Went to Amsterdam last weekend and I feel like I need another holiday because we walked about 25,000 steps a day, seeing everything, tasting everything, drinking everything and it was absolutely not as anybody who knows me smoking and me don't go together neither do drugs I do not like them but hats off to anybody else that wants to do whatever they want to do I saw many people that were high I I smelt a lot of weed and I had a great time certainly a beautiful city as well um if you've not been to Amsterdam go it's absolutely phenomenal and then I came back and it was literally dive straight back into work and I've not stopped since then. So Good. it's been great. Joe, how have you been? How's the yeah. little one? Hi, she's great. Yeah, she's um, she's not she slept well last night, but she's she's been uh, regressing sleeping wise a little bit. So a few a uh, few disturbed nights, but she is fantastic. Yeah, very smiley. I don't think she's a million miles off crawling. Oh. So that will be fun. Um, and yeah, we just we've, we've not just been working really. Nothing else exciting to report. Certainly haven't been on holiday this <laughs> the last for a couple of weeks, unfortunately. So uh, I was gonna say, wasn't yeah. that the week before that you were on holiday? Was it? Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> was it good? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I think we discussed it briefly on the last podcast. I can't remember if it was two weeks ago. Or three yeah, weeks no, ago. I think we did. Yeah, yeah. No, it must have been. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, Joe, I I am so busy. I barely know my own name. Never mind when our last podcast went out because once I've edited it, it's like well, you always gone. find time for the podcast. That's the main thing. Always find time. Yeah, I was in at one thirty a.m. this morning, and we were interviewing at half past nine. So, oh, and then the dog weed as well in the house. For some reason, after we've had her for two years now, she's never really done anything like it. She's done it in the last two days. Now, she has been spayed, so I don't know if that's the issue, that Uh, she's not got as much bladder control potentially at the moment. So I'm not sure. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm hoping, because otherwise she's just regressed to puppyhood, and uh, I'm not No, it'll be the spayed thing, definitely. Well, we take her out so many times as well, because I thought about that. So I send her out and send her out and send her out. And I was only in bed for like what seven hours, so normally she's she's all right, but clearly not yesterday or yeah, this well, morning. Whenever get she's well done soon, it. German yeah. Shep. Well, you've seen her; she's uh, lively still. <laughs> she is, never yeah. stops. She's fine. <laughs> so yeah, right onto the news. Oh, uh, just to say, coming up in this podcast, we have an interview with the commercial director of the GBGB, Mark Moisley. It's a very interesting interview, and it was a joy uh, to talk to him as well and and get the insight into what we're doing at the GBGB so um, plenty of exciting things in the works but I won't spoil it too much and we can dive in shortly but first Joe got some news yeah fair few bits of news this time um, the new Cat 1 and Cat 2 schedule was out published by the GBGB mm-hmm. um, recently or certainly since the last podcast we got 57 Cat 1s I think there was 58 in 2023 so we're, we're one short and I think it might be the Georgian St Ledger at Yarmouth because that disappeared without trace mm-hmm. um, but still a healthy number I think we've got a puppy competition at least once a month um, so that's great. We've got new cat category two competitions at, at Donny and Suffolk Downs, you know, places that usually just have uh, graded racing and maybe the f- a few opens where we've got some competition. So owners and trainers can look forward to those from in 2024. So that's really good news. 
Um, what else have we got, Danny? Dunstall Park got got planning permission. So Woo-hoo. the ground track in the middle of Wolverhampton Racecourse has got the go-ahead and the green light. Can't wait. Um, I'm not sure when that's due to be completed or started even. Do, do you see that? I don't know, but um, it's got to be a while, hasn't it? Because obviously Wolverhampton race a lot and they've got to build yeah. in the middle of um, the racecourse as well. So it'll probably be... I mean, my estimated guess would probably be 2025. I can't imagine they'd be able to get something up and running maybe 2024 with all the work and everything that has to go into the track to make sure that it runs um, well and safely Mm. and everything else. So I do think think it'll take a while. The rumour is obviously that Perry Bar hasn't got much longer left. You know, there's been rumours for a long time that houses will be built on there. So I think they've got a little bit of time until the lease runs out there to to get it. But look, that's good news. You know, hopefully they'll be doing double headers with the horse racing and and greyhounds there. Um, And, you know, it's another track opening. So uh, happy days. And on that news. Yeah, yeah. The Valley. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the Valley has opened. It had its first meeting last week. Um, they've obviously done a little bit of work there to get their license. They even changed the first bend after the the trials that took, took mm. I say trials, the sales that took place there. So they, they've done some work to the track and, and tried to improve the corner, which seems to have worked. And, um, you know, it was a, a soft-ish launch, but it was busy and packed out. So it's great to see. Um, and that will be on the SIS service from, from 2024. And they've obviously got more meetings till the end of this year to, to get up and running. So, uh Happy days, and I'm going to try and head down there soon anyway. And the sun was shining, which is rare at this time of year. So clearly it's been sun-kissed, sun-blessed by the gods above as the valley, and long may it continue. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting down to the valley. I'm jetting about all over the place at the moment, so my greyhound racing trips are thin on the ground, unfortunately, because I, uh, well, I just I work too much. But hopefully, once it calms down at the start of 2024, I'm going to start ticking off those southern tracks. That's my aim. Any more news, Joe? Um, just that the SIS 2024 schedule came out. Um, obviously, we we had the um, ARC schedule as well, but they released the the, the slots, didn't they, as well? Mm. So we know what's going on in 2024. Um, so we've got two basically two meetings in the morning two in the afternoon and two in the evening seven days a week we're still waiting on confirmation as to which irish tracks will be part of the service um, mm-hmm. there's slots that just say irish tracks at the moment so uh, there'll be a lot more irish racing on rpg tv next year um, which is good obviously you know high quality action there um from shelburne and, and everywhere else so uh i think you were on the the channel last sunday weren't you and it was obviously an irish fest there's some great competitions Saturday night as well as Irish stuff on the Sunday. It was superb. And the commentators really, 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 really good on Sunday night. We had Chris Ashworth and we had Michael Dempsey at Lifford and Mullingar. And they really lifted the crowd and lifted the races. It was it was absolutely sensational. You know, Lifford was looking really well. Uh, Mullingar, obviously a staple of the channel anyway on a Sunday, but they had one of their biggest nights of the year and it was packed out. And they tell you what Mullingar do. They dressed their track up so, so well. They had pumpkins there. I know it's not quite Halloween still, but they had pumpkins there. They had a little witch's hat on the dog in the fountain. You know, they really do go all out. And I can't wait to see the Christmas decks. Um, but they really do take pride in their track and make sure that it it looks well on camera and that there's something always going on. You know, it's it, it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm I wouldn't say... Prior to this year, I wouldn't have focused in on the Irish action apart from Mullingar because that's what we showed at, at William Hill as well. And obviously you all on a Monday. But 
obviously with the amount of Irish racing that we do show on Racing Post TV at the moment um, and have done this year and going forward, we're going to be showing a little bit more. I'm really enjoying it. It's a new yeah. thing for me to get my teeth stuck into and I think it's great. Well, look, it, it, I don't know what the percentages of, of the dogs that run in Britain that are bred in Ireland and brought up in Ireland. You know, it's it's a massive percentage. It's, you know, 70% plus, I think. Um, they're trying to change that with the British breeding, of course, and mm-hmm. less reliance on Ireland. And with the more Irish races in the schedule next year, how many how many people are going to be selling their dogs to, to Britain? Because if there's more racing in Ireland, then more dogs will need to stay in Ireland. So that's a separate issue and a chat for another day. But um, <laughs> look, obviously, they've got the quality. They've got some of the best trainers around. They've got the best, you know, the, some of the best breeding, if not the best breeding and the best pups. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it is good quality, top quality action. It really, really is. And uh, very much looking forward to it going forwards. And Danny, there's something you wanted to tell our listeners about. If you haven't already to do something, go. Sign the petition for the affordability checks. If it gets to 100,000, it automatically triggers a debate in Parliament. And that is what we need. You're going to hear from Mark that there might be a bit of a an impact on the greyhound racing side of things. Obviously, the horse racing are very vocal about it. We need to get our voices in there as well. So make sure if you haven't signed it already, please do sign it. We're going to put it in the show notes. I've tweeted it out 20 times probably since it started. I was one of the first people to get in there because I got an email from the Racing Post and it said, oh, sign this thing. So I I duly obliged and did my biz, did my bit and I've signed it. So Joe, you've signed it as well? Yeah, yeah. I was one of the first to sign it as well. It was in the hundreds <laughs> when I did it. So uh, no prizes for that little no. trumpet, but no, just it's really important. It really is. Um, look, they've got to debate it in Parliament. How much effect that will have, I don't know. But the more people that add their weight to it, it certainly gives them something to think about. Um, and it's important. I mean, it just it's civil civil liberties as well. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not just horse racing, ground racing. What you, it's you know what you can do with your own money. And to me, that that is the crux of it. And it. It's annoying. And at the same time, look, it's important that there's checks in place uh, for people that have got, you know, that do have problem gambling. But I think even, you know, when you're betting on sport, I think this more applies to casino slots and things like that. And I just wish they separate the two. And don't get me wrong, you can have a gambling problem and betting on horses. I'm not saying you can't. And, And these people need to be protected. But at the same time, you know, it shouldn't be at the detriment of of ninety nine point nine percent of everyone out there. Um, you know, having to to be asked why they're spending their money in in a certain manner that just does not sit right with me at all. It really doesn't. I'm with you, totally with you, and that's why I jumped straight on it as soon as they emailed me. I think I was on I was on the radio at the time, and I was like just filling it in, making sure it was all done, ready to go. But yeah, if you if you haven't signed it yet, get everybody to sign it. Your mum, your dad, your gran, your granddad, everybody, your next door neighbour, make sure they sign it. We need to get to 100,000. I think at the time of recording, we're about 60,000. So we we need a real push. And I know loads of key people in the horse racing industry are pushing it. We're all trying to push it in the greyhound industry as well. Hopefully we can get the 100,000 and trigger that debate before it goes any further. The only right. other thing just to add on that that's that is slightly frustrating is 
you know, obviously you've got a levy on horse racing that's that's reliant on on betting, and and the voluntary levy up for ground racing that's that's reliant on betting. And you know what what hasn't been said for many years is the restriction of you know accounts by bookmakers, which impacts the levy as well. Because if I can't get a bet on, or you can't get a bet on, then we can't invest into the sport by betting on it, and it makes it more difficult. So I do think. People have been moaning about this for many, 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 many years. But I think that also needs to be addressed at the same time as well, by the way, because the limiting and restriction of accounts these days is is um, absolutely ridiculous and well over the top, I think. So uh, just is. wanted to add that in there, Danny, as a, as a side issue. You know, Can we look at that as well, please? Yeah. The powers that be, please look at it. Thanks. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to dive into the interview now with Mark Moisley from the GBGB. He's going to tell you all sorts of things and it is a superb listen. So let's jump in. So I'm absolutely delighted to say that Mark Moisley has joined us, Commercial Director at the GBGB. Mark, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing? No problem, actually. Pleasure, Joe. Looking forward to it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we'll dive straight into the questions. We've got quite a few and um, some social media questions too, which we'll get onto later. But for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself, your current role at the GBGB um, and your journey into the Commercial Director role, if you if you would. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I can't promise a tearjerker story like Peter Harnden when he was on with Punch. I think it should have been a, a warning before he announced that story. But um, yeah, look, I've been involved in sport now for, gosh, twenty over 20 years. Um, prior to that, I'd worked with, with Nestle, which is great sort of training and background because I was in sales and marketing there. But it was obviously a huge organisation, biggest food company in the world. So great um, experience working for them. But then I always been loved my sport passionate for sport and wanted to try and get into sport if I could and um, a role came up with Sunderland Football Club who I'd had no affinity with prior to that going back this is sort of early 2000 2002 uh, commercial role with them and uh, moved into that and yeah thoroughly enjoyed it had seven um, enjoyable years there uh, despite a, a couple of relegations but uh, never, nevertheless we most of the time we were in the Premier League which was great and towards the end of that we Last couple of years, we were uh, we were bought out by uh, an Irish consortium. We had uh, Niall Quinn in as chairman, Roy Keane as manager. We had half of the Irish squad at the time, and uh, we, we got huge interest from Ireland. And I, I spent quite a bit of time over there regarding sponsorship, advertising, marketing, ticketing, all that sort of thing. And uh, we, at one point, we were chartering three planes a, a week for home games uh, from Ireland, two from Dublin, and one from Cork. We had. Um, it was funny when you went over and, and the, the, the papers over there that uh, that typically have the reports on the people like, you know, Man United, Liverpool, Celtic, the, the, the ones that had historical significance over there. And then all of a sudden you had Sunderland popping up in, in the same sort of uh, area, which which was great. And it was it was terrific. We had a couple of pre-season friendlies that were, uh, sorry, a couple of pre-season tours, I should say, that were that were great. But um, yeah, the economy in Ireland fell off a bit of a cliff and, and, it, and it had a, a big effect on what we were doing, the owners. Uh, looked to uh, move it on. An opportunity came up, that, and, and I thought it was just time to move on. I'd been there seven years, thoroughly enjoyed it, but I just thought it was time to time to move on. And went down and worked at uh, Wembley Stadium with IMG, 
which was quite surreal. It took me a while to get used to walking down Wembley Way every single day to go in the office, having only ever been uh, to things like Rugby League Cup finals and FA Cup finals. And um, yeah, it was really strange suddenly having that as my, as my place of work. But um, yeah, it was great. No, great stadium and fortunate enough to get to a lot of the events that were on at the times as well. And it's good, good you know, good experience when you see how other, how other events are presented. You know, the music was, was good to see, but also... I think that the the one that I'd never been to prior to that, but the one that really blew me away a bit was the uh, was the NFL. Um, the way they took over the stadium and their sports pres was was just on a different level. Um, yeah, all right, you know that they've got the money, which helps, but um, it it was just phenomenal to see it. It really was. It it was a fantastic occasion. But obviously, I was working down down in uh, down in London. Family were up here and. Uh, I got an opportunity to go to to a governing body with England Hockey, uh, which although we're still in South, was a bit more flexible. It was at Bisham Abbey. Um, gave me a good good insight into the workings of a governing body, which is which is very different to, to the organisations I've been in previously. But all the time I was looking to to see if there was an opportunity anywhere to to get back into the north. Um, we had youngish kids at the time that were at school, so we didn't particularly want to move them out of schools and move them into the south. So um and I ended up at Oldham Athletic, again, a club that prior to that I'd had no affinity to. Reminded me in some ways about Sunderland, obviously on a much smaller scale. The people were were, were great, really passionate about the football, working class. And um, yeah, not a bit, bit more miserable than at Sunderland, but nevertheless, good people. Um, and it was great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had four years there. The first three and a half, I will say, was, was very enjoyable. We were owned by a, an English guy that was based in New York. Um, and we played for the whole of that time in League One, and it was—it's uh, challenging. Don't get me wrong; low league football has its has its challenges, certainly financial, um, but very enjoyable. Very different in 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 terms of the sport we're in now. In that everything's geared obviously to to a match day, and it all revolves around that. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then and then he he actually sold the club to a new owner who. Uh, Decided him and his brother could run the club despite his brother failing the honours director's test, and so I, so I moved on at that point. And very, very sadly, he then he then took them down and relegated them twice, and went through twelve managers in about three years. But luckily, a local businessman's taking them on now because obviously I still keep an eye on them and look look out for the results. So hopefully, he can he can get them back into the football league with a bit of luck. Um, so having left there, uh, I knew the guys that had, that had gone. Funnily enough, by coincidence, that had then bought Sunderland. And uh, they asked if I'd go back up there. They were trying to basically sort the debts out. They, they were uh, shedding a huge amount of money in their outgoings and their income was nowhere near where it wanted to be. So I went up there and helped them out for a year, driving the uh, commercial side of things. And then the opportunity came up with uh, with the ground board. Betting side, not had a particular affinity with the sport. I'd been, I've, I've sort of aged myself now. The first time I went was... Um, was Craven Park at Hull KR's old rugby league ground was my first incursion uh, to the Greyhounds. I'd been to Doncaster, given that I live in York, I'd been to Doncaster, Sheffield, I'd been at Sunderland when I worked there, I'd been up to the dogs there. But not, uh, you know, not pretending that I was a, a huge uh, expert by any means um, on the dog. But the betting side of it was always something that was of interest to me, That whether it be the, the dogs or the horses. Um, my, my granddad, God rest his soul, was, was a bookies runner back in the day and uh, my brother's a, a rails bookmaker, has been for many years, just on, just on a part-time basis on a weekend. So, yeah, when the opportunity came up, it seemed like a, a good a good chance to move into something which is a an industry I had interest in from the betting perspective. It's been a, it, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. It's again very challenging. I'm sure you're aware of that. But um, but 
look, I, I, I love working in sport. I'm very passionate about uh, about the sports that I'm involved in. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't swap it. So you've talked us through how you got into the role that you currently sat in, Mark, in the GBGB. But what does your role actually entail as the commercial director? Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, it's probably evolved over the time I've been here. I mean, um, you know, a typical commercial director role, the fact that this is a, a not-for-profit organisation, the two things are almost, uh, you know, opposite each other. But um, it, it, the emphasis certainly over the last 12 months, and we'll, we'll probably come on to this a little bit later, has been been very much on the commercial contracts that we've got either with existing or with, or with new partners. Um, we've undertaken a, a digital transformation project which is which is absolutely key and we're implementing that as we speak um because not just about that there's plenty of other things that i get involved with so whether it's uh dealing with the bookmakers whether it's funding whether it's the antis uh <laughs> marketing promotion partnerships um dealing with suppliers I've, I've got the pleasure of now looking after all the car rentals that we do um the awards ceremony you know national ground week so the, yeah a lot of areas that uh, that i get involved with but um yeah, certainly the the key emphasis over the over this last few months has been a project that we that we undertook um, and that that is ongoing, and uh, yeah, there's a lot lot involved in that and a lot of a lot of moving parts to it that uh, that we've got to try and keep keep together, so to speak. Great, and then you mentioned a couple there, but what what changes have you brought in since you've been in the role, Mark? Um, you mentioned the digital implement implementation strategy there. Can yeah, you go that, into a bit I mean, more that, detail I, on exactly what that is? Absolutely. I mean that that without doubt will be will be the biggest because it's um it's something that'll impact us right across the sport. We we basically reviewed, you know, data is key these days in in all sports and we we reviewed how it was processed, who was supplying it, who was distributing it. Um and, and our our IT guy is absolutely key to this with his technical expertise it, and we were trying to bring in a much more leaner environment that was much more reliable, um, a lot more streamlined, a lot more efficient and also key from a, from a costing perspective, uh, a lot more economical to run. So there's different elements to the project. We're looking at things like um, getting all the systems live. So instead of a once a day download for tracks, they'll actually, as soon as they implement something onto the system, it'll be live straight away, which, which will save them a lot of work. Uh, we're working with GRI to, um, to do a, a data share agreement, which again will mean that for the tracks, they're not having to implement this information separately. So that'll assist them certainly in their in their time management. Uh, looking at online registrations, again, something that takes up a lot of time for owners and trainers, if we can get that online, which hopefully we, we will have fairly soon. Um, all those sort of things can, can benefit everybody. But, you know, from a cost perspective, the, the, there's one piece of work alone that we're doing at the moment where, there's between one and a half and two million pounds going out of the industry, and we're we're looking to reduce that down by probably by certainly over fifty percent, if not seventy five percent. And that's if you make those differences and those changes, um, that really can have an impact right across the board because you, you can see the benefits to all parties involved in that. But but that I mean that sort of project alone, I'm probably I'm probably dealing with twenty different parties on that in terms of the the companies that we're dealing with, the suppliers that we're dealing with in terms of the tracks, uh, the media companies. So one piece of work like that has, has, you know, has gone on for a good few months since the review was started. Then we looked at what we wanted to implement, how we were going to do that. Then it's a case of bringing all the partners on board, explaining what we're doing. And it takes time. You know, it takes time to get these sort of things in. But if we make the sort of cost savings that um, that we will make, then clearly there's a huge benefit to doing it. 
And something I've often thought is that, you know, the harder and longer something takes to, to get in, usually the more concrete and robust it is once it's in place. And uh, and hopefully that's the case with this. It's something that we're, it's coming to fruition. We're, we're close to it. We're, we're at contract stage with it. So um, it, it's something that will be implemented hopefully quite soon. But it, it's been a huge piece of work. And that and that 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 huge piece of work as a stand is a standalone, but also fits into the overall uh, digital transformation piece that we're doing, which um, which, like I say, will will really benefit everybody across the industry. And I think, uh, you know, by the sort of middle of next year, when a lot of it's been implemented, that people will be able to see the significant changes that we've got. Um, clearly, you know, there's some commercial sensitivities around some of the issues, some of the things I'm talking about, which is why I can't, can't go into sort of details on contracts, et cetera, until, until they're signed. But, um, but it, it, it's a real key piece of work for us. Um, along with, along with other work that we've done as well, you know, that we changed partners this year with the national form database Um and, and it's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, people may not see any impact from that particularly, but from our side, it, it clearly involves a lot of work changing over a partnership like that. Um, the information that goes from the National Form database goes out to a lot of suppliers. So we're implementing a nice new nice new system that's, uh, that's much more efficient, but then in some cases, they've got to then make the data to put it in layman terms, if you like, old-fashioned, to go out to old-fashioned systems because the people it's going to don't want to spend the money upgrading their systems. So, um, yeah, a lot of work goes into it, but um, we know where we want to get to. We, we, we're very uh, very driven to get to that point. We know it's going to benefit everybody, um, and certainly the, there's huge cost savings there, so it, it's absolutely imperative that, we, uh, that we're able to do that. Right. And then you also mentioned um, National Ground Week earlier, which I think was a big success for sure. Um, how do you analyse its performance and what have you got in, in store for next year to make it bigger and better? Yeah, we're pleased with it. I mean, you, you say it was a big success. I think I think that's, you know, it's fair to say without sort of going overboard about it. We didn't try and do too much, if you like, in year one. Something that, you know, we... <sighs> I'll probably mention it on, on a number of times during this. You know, we, we don't have a huge resource either in terms of uh, budget or in terms of people. So when we're looking at doing something uh, different that's new, that has to be done um, with the team we've got. We, we try and get a little bit of funding for bits and pieces of it if we can, but we don't suddenly have a, a, a huge budget that we can suddenly implement this into. So... Um, if you look at the road shows, for example, that we did, so we got to about half of the half of the tracks uh, with a road show whereby we were out there. We've got, we had wristbands for the kids. We had information on on rehoming. We had information on uh, careers in the sport and and various other things. And and the people that did that, uh, people that have all got day jobs at the, at the GBGB, and they're going out on a night. Additionally, we don't suddenly have a team of people that can go out doing road shows. So um, we we tried to ensure that we weren't, if you like biting off more than we could chew with year one. We didn't want it to fall flat on its face. So we, we we looked at what we could do with the resources that we had. And like you say, I think from that perspective, it worked well. We got good buy-in from uh, the Racing Post, from RPG TV. Um, we did a marketing toolbox for all the tracks that they could use as much or as little of as they wanted to do. And that went very well from a marketing perspective. Uh, some of the tracks got really good numbers. It was key that it was tied into the owner's bonus series, I think. I think that worked very, very well, and that's something we'd look to do again. Um, and we saw really good numbers at some of the tracks. You know, I, I was at two or three across the week, um, and, and it was great. It, it, it was a really good week. It, it got uh, it got buying as well from 
from some of the media outlets uh, we, we got on uh, the TV with one or two interviews with trainers and things. Um, the Oxford Mail through the guys that do the PR for uh, for Oxford Stadium had a really good piece in there. Um, and even, and, and I've mentioned this previously, even the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce were, were supportive of the of the Sheffield uh, uh, night that uh, that they had on the Tuesday night. So, so it was good. But yeah, we did. We were pleased with how it went. Um, but deliberately, it was it was relatively uh, small scale to start with. But it's something that now we we can look to build on. We can see what worked, um, and we can try and enhance it next year. We can look at what the horse racing do because obviously they've done it for a number of years now. Um, and we can look at some of the ideas they've got. We did a couple of open kennels, for example, and that's something we could perhaps develop further across the country. Um, so yeah, it, it, we were we were very pleased with how it went, but it's something we can certainly build on year on year, hopefully. Yeah, it was superb, to be fair. And you could see the buzz on social media as well with uh, the tracks kicking off, you know, with different things that they were doing and making sure that everybody was aware of, you know, free entry on maybe the Bank Holiday Monday and, and different things. And the Open Kennels, I think, is key to get the public to buy into uh, the retired Greyhound side of things and the sport as, as a whole. You know, that that is the key. We need to be, we are transparent, but we don't have the open kennels as much as, you know, the horse racing have um, open houses that they do. So oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we need a few more of those maybe throughout the year would be great, you know, in the winter months, in the summer, see the difference, you know, in, of how they are looked after, you know, when it's cold and freezing outside, absolutely tipping it down into the summer months when you can see that they have full range of everywhere because the sun's on the back and the, you know, they can do basically what they want. So I do think we need more of those. And, is there any kind of plan from maybe the GBGB? Can can you influence that and and get track um, trainers to open their kennels or to put days in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I say, we we, we tried. We, we deliberately didn't go too overboard hmm. for year one, but certainly with you know, likes of Kevin Hutton opening his his up and and it went very well. And I think yeah, I, I agree completely. I think that's something we can certainly expand on, even perhaps to, to like the breeding side of things. So you know, I've I've been up and seen. David Titston's uh, kennels up up in uh, the West Midlands there, and I mean it's fantastic. What a, what a great setup you've got there, and um, yeah. So if we can look at expanding that, we certainly will. And but the, but there's other areas as well that I think we can we can build on it. And um, yeah, hopefully it's something that we've we've got into people's mind now that it's going to happen year on year. And 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 yeah, we got really good buying this year. The tracks were great, really supportive of it, and and we'll certainly look to push on next year with it. Fabulous news. Can't wait already. <laughs> uh, now, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced as commercial director? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think um, you know, I touched I touched before on um on the fact that we, we you know we don't have a huge team of people at the GBGB and, and a lot of those that we do have are out um at the coalface, so to speak, the stipes, um, the samplers, and the numbers sort of office office-wise, it it is very, very small. So when you've not got a, a, a huge team and you've also not got a huge um, amount of uh, resource in terms of budget for things like marketing and promotion, then you can't always do as much as you want to do um, or things that you want to do can take a bit longer because you can't just suddenly put a team of people on it. So so that, that, that can sometimes be a little bit frustrating at times. Um, again, something I touched on before was where we're implementing some new systems. It sometimes can be frustrating in terms of, 
the, the, the companies that you're working with, the partners and the stakeholders, they don't want to invest in their system. So so we're trying to implement and, and enhance, put new systems in, but then you're having to make the, the, the data sort of old-fashioned, so to speak, to talk to theirs. So, yeah, the, there's areas like that that can be frustrating. Um, obviously, you know, the, the amount of time and effort we have to spend in, in terms of the antis is, is, is a huge frustration because, you know, it, that re- again, that resource could be better used elsewhere, but we have to do it. Um, but you sort of, you, you know, you, the reasons for doing it are right, but it would be far better clearly if we didn't even have to do that at all. But it, it's one of those things. They're, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to go away. And it, it's imperative that we continue to to fly the flag and, and get the correct messaging out in the sport um, right across the piece. And I think we've got better at that. We can still get better further. I think our our whole um, social media side of things and comms can still be improved. No question about that, and that's something that we're that we will be uh, improving. We are reviewing that. Um, but that's that's you know that can be a frustration because you you're looking at people that are coming out half the time, well the vast majority of the time, coming out with with nonsense and coming out with facts that have been dragged up from many many years ago and um, and. It, it, yeah, that, that for me can be a frustration because you just, all the time you're working on that and you know you've got to do it, but all the time you're doing it, you're thinking, you know, it could be better served elsewhere. But um, so, yeah, no, that can be a frustration. No doubt. Um, and, and look, it's it's an absolute fact, um, no hiding away that the GBGB has made giant strides in terms of welfare over the years. Um, but one of the things that, that Danny and myself talk about on the podcast a lot and, and our guests bring up a lot um, is the lack of promotion and marketing of the, of the sport. Now, obviously, I do think GBGB get some stick sometimes for, for stuff that promoters should be doing, you know, the track owners. Um, but but what are you doing to push the sport out to a, to a new audience? And as I say, do you even think that is your your job at all to do that? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've certainly got a, um, a role and a responsibility to... So both we'll do that ourselves and, like you've just mentioned, to support the tracks in doing so. Um, and look, as, as we know, some tracks are better than others. And again, some tracks have got more resource to do it than others. So, um, you know, you, you do have to bear that in mind. But no, certainly it's something that, that yes, we have a responsibility for. We we support the tracks. So when the tracks came back after, uh, after COVID, for example, we again put a... Um, a marketing toolbox together for them. When I talk about a marketing toolbox, basically that's got uh, messaging in there for social media. It's got it's got uh, banners in there, promotions in there, that, and they can use as much as or as little of it as it wants. It, it's generic; they can personalise it. Um, so it's something we did for National Ground Week, but it's also something we did for, for the Back on Track campaign when they reopened after COVID. Um, so in that sense, we will certainly help and support them. We, we also did a corporate video at the time. Um, Sorry, we did a video at the time, both for corporate um, and for general public, again, just pushing the sport. So so we'll do our piece on that side of things. The, the National Ground Week, clearly, again, it's something that hopefully the tracks benefit from as we get more people through the through the doors to come and do that. Um, without doubt, the social media side, we can still improve. It's got better, I think. I'm, I think that's fair to say. But that's something we can certainly improve. We've got to look at, um, again, with, with regards to the funding, we've got to look at, how we can promote it in a cost-effective manner. And clearly social media is one of the areas that we can do that. We also this year implemented um, a CRM system. So we've now got a database that we're building with people right across the sport, whether it be uh, people that are directly involved, whether it be people that are indirect or punters, whoever it may be, people that are coming to watch, whoever it may be, we're starting to build that database. Um, and we've started to put newsletters out to them. So that I think we've 
we've done those over the last sort of two or three months since we got this implemented. When we were on the National Ground Week, one of the things that we were doing on the roadshows was trying to get people to sign up. Um, and, and all they need to do is, is give their sort of email address and, and details and they'll get, get the newsletter received. And and that covers lots of different things. So it, it covers the, you know, the racing scene clearly and any big races that have been on, or it may cover um, any promotions. It, we, as we start to build the database, we can start to be um, a bit more, a bit smarter with it. So for example, if there was a, a, a big meeting down at Hove, um, we could target the people that will live within say 100 miles of Hove. And, and specifically send out a promotion to them or, or likewise if it was up at Newcastle or Sheffield or wherever. So as we build that and build that, the, the communication will get better and better because it was something that I was really keen to ensure we implemented. It's, it, it's absolutely fine doing social media, but you also need to have that direct communication with people. And that's what this enables us to do. This is a newsletter um, or, or it doesn't have to just be the newsletter. It can be any communication we want that's now we know for a fact is directly going out to people that have signed up and requested information. It's not just a case of hoping that people read it on social media. And and it just, as time moves on, it will give us more and more opportunities to to utilize it. And like I say, we'll be able to drill down into it and, and use it in a, in a sort of smarter way. So, we're well aware that that most people that will that will attend tracks will be from you know a reasonably local area to that vicinity. So if we're able to target them, if a track, for example, has um, a family day on, we can we can drill again drill down at the database and see who that particularly appeals to. So early days still with that, we've only just started to build it. We've got a, a relatively small number on it, but we've got a starting point and we will build and build and and that's something that we're really keen to push. What about um, sort of PR on a, on a national level? Because obviously, you know, again, you mentioned Oxford. We've, we've sport, spoke to Sean and some of the other tracks do a great job of getting what what's on and, and you know, the CAC1 competitions coming up. And I've seen more doing the local press very well. What what about, obviously, it's not their job to do an, an, a sort of national campaign or push the sport nationally. I'd, I'd say that falls into the GBGB remit, if, if anything. Um, are you doing anything or are there any plans to do anything in that in that respect and engage with big publishers and, and media outlets about promoting ground racing? Yeah, again, I think that comes a little bit back to what I was just talking about before there with uh, with us being able to communicate direct and, and with things like the National Ground Week. When it comes to um, sort of, if you like, advertising or, or promoting it through through the bigger channels, there's, there's a cost to that, you know, and a significant cost to that. And that's just not resource that we have available. It's as simple as that. So, so whilst we're looking to promote the sport on a, on a national basis, when it comes to, if you like, um, a specific meeting, for example, or something like that, or a, a big event that's happening, the way we can do that is to try and do it locally, supporting the track, helping the track to do it. They've got access to the, to the resources that we have, but also, like I say, as we build up uh, the database and we know, people that are living in that area we can push it to them but but certainly in terms of sort of um you know working with the broadsheets or bigger publishers or, or, or tv you know that's just something we just do not have the resource to do because there's a, there's a big cost comes into it with that so we have to look at how we can do it we have to look at um if you like smarter ways we can do it so um yes of course we we, we want to promote the spot as, as best we possibly can but you know the, the, the it's got to be done within a budget as well yeah, it's always it always comes down to money, doesn't it? Always, always comes down to money and resources. Because I was just going to say, you know, over in Ireland, they've just um, appointed Sarah Kinsler as the yeah, PR I know Sarah, and, yeah. yeah, 
you know, she's doing a fantastic job. Would we think about having somebody like Sarah over here in, in a similar kind of role? Yes. I'll say no more than that. Stay tuned for Mark Moisley. Yes, I mean, I knew Sarah when she was at Boyles and uh, and obviously, she, you know, she's got a great knowledge and experience and passion for the sport. I think she's terrific. Um, clearly, the setup over in Ireland is very different with the funding mechanism and... Um, and the way that they um, are able to to uh, to support their sport in a slightly different way in terms of the promotion, etc. Leon Blanche, somebody I know very well that's over there now as their commercial director because, funnily enough, when he was at Boyle Sports, going back to my time at Sunderland in 2002, they were our shirt sponsor. Leon was there at the time. So so I've got a, a history with Leon going back a number of years. I met up with him again at the, uh, at the Irish Derby last month and it was good to see him. Uh, but yeah, clearly they've got a different, different funding model. So the way they operate and, and do their things is, is very different to ours. Uh, but yes, is the, is the short answer to your question. Would we look to do something like that? Absolutely. Brilliant. Great news. Now we've touched on the antis and obviously we're always under threat from the various my, vocal minority out there, but especially in Scotland and Wales at the moment. Now, Obviously, we've had a big success recently with the Valley coming under the GBGB remit. But do you think that GBGB is doing enough to stand up for the sport in the and the antis? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, the, the, there's a the huge amount of work goes on behind the scenes on that. Uh, Mark Bird, in particular, um, is at the forefront of that. He's he's actually been up to the Scottish Parliament with Professor Madeline Campbell, our independent director on the board, um, putting our case to them. Uh, there was obviously the um, discussion in uh, Whitehall earlier this year as well that, that uh, was brought up because they'd received a petition which had sufficient number of signatures, but was was pretty much, um, you know, just didn't really get anywhere because, the, because of the work that had gone in. And, you know, when you see debates like that in Parliament, there's a lot of work from our side that goes on beforehand. So it may not be representatives of us that are speaking in these debates, but the MPs that are speaking, rest assured that they've already been spoken to from our side and in the build-up to it. So there's a lot of work goes into that. Um, in terms of in terms of Wales, I'm actually down at the Senate next uh, next week, so we, we've got a, an opportunity next week to um, to have a stand actually at the, the Senate to meet with the MPs there and to to put our case forward and just to show them what a great sport it is and why. Why the way the route they should be going down is is for licensing and not to uh, not to look to ban the sport. Down at Cardiff for me that'll be a full day, and that's time that you know I essentially could be doing something else. But it's absolutely imperative that we're there and getting our message across because there's a real threat. There is a real threat from from both Scotland and Wales, and we want to see the correct decisions being made. We want to see the um, the decision being made that tracks should be licensed. They've licensed the Valley. Great news. You know, Dave Barkley taking it on. Um, I'm hoping to get down there when I'm, when I'm there next week. Great to see the first meeting there last Friday. Um, and, you know, we want to support that. And we, I think you, you may have seen the comments in, in the Racing Post when it was open. Richard Branklin says saying that they'd had good support from GBGB because we, we really want them to be successful down there. Absolutely want them to be successful. And so us doing our work at the Senate um, is absolutely key to that because we want to make sure that the messages that the MPs there are receiving are the right ones. Um, and there was there's a lot of information, misinformation that they were given earlier in the year. 
And it's up to us to make sure that we're representing the sport correctly because nobody else will be doing that. So we've absolutely got to get that message across. So where I was saying earlier, you know, it, it can be frustrating that we've got to do it. It can be, but it's absolutely imperative that we do so. For sure. And I mean, I've had the uh, misfortune sometimes of listening to those debates in, in Scotland and Wales because um, uh, because I'm boring like that. I like watching them. <laughs> but uh, as you say, I mean, from 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 an outsider looking in, it to me, it seems like the Scottish one, there's more support um, to, to keep ground racing and, and not enforce a ban. However, there's no licensed tracks in Scotland anyway. So it's no. largely ir- irrelevant. Obviously, we don't want it to be banned for the flapping track and things like that. Whereas in Wales, that seems to have a little bit more support with the members of the Senate and obviously, you know, with the Valleys opening. Um, that, that seems a little bit more uncertain to me. But what what do you think? Yeah, but I mean, uh, like I say, Mark Bird is the one that's been certainly at the forefront of this. Um, he's the one that's been to the Senate previously. I haven't. So I'm, I'm really interested next week to try and get an indicator of, of, of what the feeling is down there. You know, we, we get reports in from, from a company that we've got working with us that are, uh, that are closer uh, to that sort of thing, clearly than, than, than we are. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very interested. I'm delighted the Valley's got opened up first and foremost. That was absolutely key. Um, and it's great to see that. Um, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be really, really interested next week to, to, to try and gauge what the feelings are and it you know it's good that we've got this opportunity and it's not just myself that's going down we've got Angie Smith who's an independent board director um who is an XMP so she's very knowledgeable um great to have her there we've got Peter Cadman independent lawyer on the board as well coming along so you know we're going down there to really really make an effort to push um and to get our message across it's an opportunity for us to do so yeah, good to hear because there's been a lot of effort by the antis, certainly in Wales, attending anything that they can they can go to basically with their, absolutely their yeah, and, and they may so. well they may well be there again next week, which could lead to interesting conversations. Yeah, good. Well, it, look, it's not hard to rebut <laughs> a lot of the things they say because it's no, either complete nonsense true. or it's you know emotive anecdotes rather than you know good quality data or, or based on anything yeah. um, you know specific. So uh, yeah, good. Wish you the best of luck next week. That's that's good to hear. Appreciate that. Thank you. Um, look, here's, here's a very open question, but do you see a future for Greyhound racing? Absolutely. I mean, we've, you know, we've got three years time. We've got the centenary of the sport coming across to this country with that first race at Bellevue. And uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we, you know, the, the, the work that we're doing is, is very much with, with a long-term plan in mind. No, no question about that. You saw this, the welfare strategy that came out, which, was a five-year plan, but that doesn't stop after five years. It's ongoing. It's constant. And, um, you know, the, the areas that we work in, that, you know, we're trying to get the funding through from the bookmakers at the moment. A lot of conversations going on with that. And that's key to, to helping us with that long-term stability of the sport. So, yeah, very much so. We, you know, our our plans, our work that we're doing is, is very much for the long term. And so, um, yes, absolutely see future for the sport. No question about that. Good. Good to hear you. I'd expect you to say that, to be honest, though, Mark. But good, <laughs> good to hear you so positive. Um, I think yeah, don't get me wrong. The... There clearly there are threats to it. You know, we we've yeah. already touched on the answers. You've got the, um, you've got the uh, affordability checks that have been the white since the white paper was produced. You know, that's that's a threat to to, to the gambling to the betting side, without a doubt. You've seen how how uh, robust the opposition to that has been from the Racing Post and and uh, and the BHA, along with ourselves and. Um, you know, so clearly, clearly there are threats. We're actually in the in the process at the moment of producing a, an economic report, uh, which is very close to completion, actually. 
um, which we will be producing. We last did one in 2014. And that really shows and spells out the uh, the impact and the um, benefits that ground racing bring to the economy. And um, the timing of that, one of the reasons is, yes, we haven't done one for nine, nearly 10 years. So it's important to refresh that. But also, you know, with the threats that we've got, we, we want to be able to show, look, this is a sport and an industry that actually benefits a lot of people, a lot of people that work in it. It's not just about... Um, the leisure activity for the punters, although of course that's where a huge amount of the funding is generated. But actually, as a as a sport, we we really do uh, benefit the the UK economy. When can we expect to see that? Um, I would very very much hope by the end of the month. Okay, exciting. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty close to to, to publication. Oh, great, we'll keep always dangerous to put dates on these things, as you well yes, know. Yes, of course. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm hopeful of it, that. But... I'm hopeful of that. And and you just touch on something else, Mark. Actually, I just the, the the sort of voluntary levy. Obviously, I think getting a um you know a mandatory levy is is going to be very difficult. Um, but how's that going at the moment? Um, are you getting what you expect from the bookmakers? Are you hoping to get more at any stage? And do you think more bookmakers will will sign up that haven't well, already? Well, first of all, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Getting a mandatory levy levy is is difficult. But but I think it's an interesting one because. All right, we've got the vast majority of, of bookmakers um, contributing. But if I was one of those bookmakers contributing and I knew that other people weren't, why would I be against it going mandatory? Because then the other people would have to be. And if I'm already paying in, it doesn't affect me. Um, so in some respects, uh, yes, it's a difficult thing to get, but I, I think there is potentially an opportunity to do that. However, um to go back to your question about our conversation with the bookmakers, yeah, some have gone very well and and some um, have raised objections and very valid. We've got to um, make sure we address those, which we are doing. We've got um, agreement from some bookmakers, but it's in principle. So it's in principle in that they'll they'll pay it as long as everybody else does. And so you've got to then ensure that the ones that are raising objections, that you tackle the objections, that you address them correctly um, and that you try and overcome those objections. And if you can do that, great. Um, that will enable us to move forward. If we can't, then we have to look at alternatives and possibly a mandatory levy would do that. But but what we want to do is try and, try and bring them with us. We want them to understand why uh, there's a requirement for this. They get that. They get the welfare strategy completely. Um, Nobody will look at the welfare strategy and say that's not required, quite obviously. So they understand it, but um, one or two have raised reasonable objections in my in my view. And so we, we have to um, make sure that we, we can answer those. And um, and that's literally what we're in the process of at the moment. And, and this is just to maintain the current funding as well. Are we talking? We're not talking about a raise here. We're just talking about continuing where we're at. Is no, right? we are we are looking to try and raise it. Oh, apologies. So they've objected to the raise. They're happy to pay what uh, they're paying. Yeah, not, the not necessarily objected to the raise. Just, just they've they've brought objections that they wanted to address, and that that's where we are with it. Can you can you yeah. give us an example of any of those objections? Um, probably not. Without without sort of contravening mm. the confidentiality that that, that 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 it brings to that, but um. Some of them are, are, I don't think anything's insurmountable. Look, there always has to be a, a route out these things through negotiation and, and a bit of give and take. Um, 
the ones that we've got, I think, are quite valid. Um, I would tell you more, but it involves other parties, and therefore that's not fair to say that. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's a bit tricky to, to sort of en enhance it and enlarge on it. But um, it's up to us to, to, to work through it. We're the ones that are going to try and work through it. We, you know, in an ideal world, we get all these people coming with us. They all understand it, um, and we want them... We, Look, we want to. We've we've built much closer relationships and partnerships with the bookmakers over the last couple of years. We want them to be supportive of the sport. It's a good sport for them in terms of the revenue they derive from it. It's a relatively easy sport for them in terms of what they have to do to put into it. Um, I'd still like to see them, you know, doing more as well in terms of. You see them clearly. They pay the levy into horse racing, but then you see an awful lot of sponsorship promotion from them in horse racing, which you don't really get with the greyhound. So. That's part of of, uh, of working with them and building the partnerships with them. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult, but but it's ongoing, and 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 hopefully we can we can get the right res uh, resolution that we want. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I wish you luck with that because it's obviously an important piece of the puzzle. Um, it is absolutely for the future yeah. of the the sport. And again, you know, it it it's something that that is very time consuming because you're speaking to all of these people individually. Mm. Um, as well as the likes of the DCMS and the Betting and Gaming Council, who we met with down in London, um, but it's 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 just very very important important part of the role. So it's um, something that we, like I say, we really hope we can get the resolution out of it that we're looking for. Good luck. You piqued my interest way back in the interview, Mark, because you mentioned the GBGB Awards. So that's probably the fun side of what you have to deal with because obviously it's the glitz, it's the glamour, it's the it's the the one night of the year where we celebrate the canine athletes of our sport. And I've not heard a whisper yet of when the next one is. So I don't know if you could shed any light of uh, what's happening with the 2023. Yeah, well, you, it's interesting that you say it's the fun side and it's the glitz and the glamour. It is for one night, but in the months building up to it, there's <laughs> an awful lot of hard work goes into it. So... Um, how much can I tell you? Well, yes, we we we've we have a uh, a preferred venue, That's not confirmed, a preferred venue, um, and a preferred date, which I'm happy to share, which I think is around. It's a little bit later. I think we're looking at around the beginning of March. I think it is. So it's a little bit later, but um, that's something that we're looking to announce ASAP because we want people to have that date in the diary and, and, and make sure they're aware of it. So um, I think we're just literally waiting for some confirmation on costs from the preferred venue. Um, and as soon as we've got those, hopefully as long as they meet what we're looking at, um, I'm pretty sure they, they're the one that can do the date that we've asked for, although we're a little bit flexible in that. So I think that's hopefully something that can be announced fairly soon. We, we want to get that out there as soon as we possibly can. Uh, partly so everyone can get it in the diary, but also partly because we, you know, we have sponsors that we, that we work with for that, uh, that we're already speaking to. And so we want to ensure that uh, they've again got it, got it as, as much advanced notice as possible in terms of this. It's the thing that Dan is most interested in anyway. She loves a boozy night out of the GBGB awards. Quite right. I thought it was great last year having it at Sheffield. I thought it was terrific. Um, really good venue. Um, the guys there did a terrific job that, you know, really enjoyed working with the, with the, with the guys at Sheffield. Um, and I thought it was a really successful night. So um, we actually got more people attending that one than we had the previous year in London. So, you know, it's something that we, we've looked at, at moving it around the country and um, look, it's not, 
just down to me. But personally, I think it's the right way to go. I think it, I think it's good to move it around the country, and and if we can tie it in like we did last year with a um, a meeting, maybe on the Saturday night like Sheffield had last year, then I think that's an added bonus. Absolutely, it was like a bit of a weekend of it. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, because obviously people have always said, you know, with it being down in London, it's the it's the cost side of things, isn't it? You know, you travel down there, the hotel when you get there, or you get the train back and. You have to leave at whatever time because they don't have trains, certainly up north past about 10 o'clock at night. So you have to curtail the evening. So I thought it was fantastic last year at Sheffield um, and it was absolutely packed. You know, everybody had a great time as far as I could see. And it's, it is the best night of the year. I absolutely love the GBGB Awards. I go as many, many years as I can. And um, yeah, I think uh, beginning of March, perfect. It's not as cold as January. February yes, when we've had it in crossed. the past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect. Thank you for that, Mark. <laughs> no problem. I'll probably get in trouble now, but surely giving a date away is not a problem, is it? <laughs> Dan, Dan is happy. My name's Jane from Greyhound Swindon and Beyond. As you'll guess, it's a project in Swindon to rehome greyhounds, but we do take greyhounds from other parts of the country. We try to match the greyhound to the home to make sure that the adoption is successful. And at the moment, we have a lovely boy with us called Cuba. Cuba's three and a half years old, and he came to join us from over the Irish Sea. He's a beautiful little dog. He's friendly and affectionate, a little bit strong on the lead, but he soon settles down and walks really nicely. He's been out for walks amongst other dogs and behaved himself really quite well. And we think he would make a lovely addition to any home. If you'd like to find out more about him, you can ring Jane on 0778 654 1615 or find us on Facebook on Greyhounds Swindon and Beyond. Thank you. some social media questions if you'll um, listen and answer that would sure. be great uh, the first one's from West Country Greyhound Kennels at West Country G he said where do you stand on supporting young trainers who start from nothing and would like to progress further in the sport but not may not have the financial backing to buy a suitable place as kennels to rent are like gold dust he says without younger trainers coming into the sport what happens in 10 years when the old trainers give up and sell their land for houses couldn't the gbgb buy them and do a rent to buy scheme or something like that yeah it's an interesting one and look certainly in terms of supporting young trainers it, it it's really important that we do that you know we we've got we mentioned him earlier we've got peter Harden, the trainers rep on the board who, who certainly um speaks very well on the trainers behalf at the board meetings keeps everything up to date so we know where we are with that, um, raises objections, concerns. Um, but in terms of specifically purchasing land or kennels, that's just not something we've got the resource and the funding to do. We, we just simply don't have that. Um, 
I, I could potentially see issues further down the line, but we don't need to go on to those anyway. But no, that, 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 I mean, that unfortunately, you know, nice idea in, in a perfect world, maybe, but we, it's not something we would have the, the funding to be able to do. Um, so we, we've got to look to support them in, in other ways. And, and like I say, Peter speaks very, very well on behalf of them at the board meetings and, and puts a case for whatever it may be very well. And, and, and hopefully we support him through that. Um, and then the third bend um, says, are there plans for um, either a publicly viewable commercial strategy or a capabilities demanding signal roadmap for the sport? If no to both or either, how do you envisage bringing stakeholders with the GBGB for growing the sport? Yeah, I mean, we're very clear on our roadmap and we've, we've shared that with a number of key stakeholders. They, they, they understand what we're trying to achieve um, and how we can benefit not only them, but but people within the sport, and um, and that, that you know that's that's really important that for us to present it to them so that they, people can understand where we're trying to get to and what we're trying to achieve. Because it may be that not all aspects of it are directly involving that particular stakeholder, but if they can see how it fits into the bigger picture, then we're more likely to get buy-in from them on the area that we're speaking to them about. So, um, so it's. It, we mentioned earlier that we that we built up the partnerships with bookmakers over the last couple of years. We've done that across the board with all the stakeholders, whether it be the media companies or the bookmakers or the um, you know promoters, whoever it may be. We we've really worked hard at at building those relationships, and um, and hopefully that that's to the benefit of the whole industry. Um, well, again, we, you know we we've brought new partners on board as well, and we've got to, we've got to work with them all across the board and and. I said earlier a lot of a lot of my work at the moment is commercial contracts we we've got the the new project that we're on where like i said we've probably got 20 different parties involved we've got uh contracts at the moment that we're working on with pre-race data we've we've done the national form database we've got a new supplier and partner in for that which obviously was we, we had to do a contract with but also there was a contract with the old supplier because we're still working with them on different areas so we've got to make sure all these things are aligned and and the more transparent we are which is which goes right across what we're doing as long as people can see what we're trying to achieve and and that it's fair and, and equitable across the board as long as people can see that and they understand that and they understand how it all fits together uh then we're much more likely to get the buy-in with that yeah yeah for sure i mean for for me personally as like a, a you know an owner st stakeholder let's say for me sometimes you know you know work's going on um, in the background, but it's just not communicated very well. You know, what's being worked on at the moment, you mentioned the digital implementation strategy, which sounds great, but I mean, it's, you know, and it, I know how much work would go into something like that and how much time you put into it. But I just, you know, if people knew that these things are going on and that was going to yeah. happen in X amount of time, and then we're also working on this, which, we, you know, if there was a sort of strategy that was visible to everyone, I think people would be a bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, but you know what I'm I'm saying, sort of. Yeah, and um... I think it is something we'll look to share. We, we we haven't been able to for a specific reason at this moment in time, but I think it's something we can look to share for slightly further down the line. Um, because yeah, I, I agree with you. It it it, you know, it's fine me coming on here and talking about things like a digital transformation. Well, what does that mean? Well, without going into massive detail about it, it you know, people maybe maybe don't appreciate fully what's involved with it. Um, so yes, I think there is an opportunity for us to be. Uh, better with our communication that we for for reasons that I won't go into we've not been able to with a certain aspect at the moment but but that's something with, that we'll that we'll be able to do a little bit further down the line 
Yeah, sure. Obviously, there's commercial sensitivities around course, all these yeah. things. That yeah. I think everyone gets that as well. But it's just like what what you know what's going to happen in the next twelve months, and then you know the, the next two to three years. It's just there doesn't seem to ever be any visibility really on what's what's going. No, on. No, that's a fair comment. That's a fair yeah. comment. Yeah, that's just me as a looking from afar. But I think and I think that's what the third Ben's getting at as well because um, I've seen him moan about that uh, on, <laughs> on social media regularly as well. So. Um, and finally, we've got a question from, from Mark at Mark underscore EFC. He's got a few questions here for you, Mark. Um, how successful has the van scheme for trainers been and how many trainers have used the scheme? Is his first bit? Yeah, no, that's because we implemented that um, due to the uh, legislation that came in on air conditioning for vans for the trainers. We wanted to make sure that the trainers... Um, had an option, affordable option to make sure that we, we don't want anybody falling foul of that legislation. So we wanted to to make it as simple as possible where we could for them to to do that. And um, and this scheme gave them, you know, some significant discounts on it, whether it be for a new or, or a used vehicle. Uh, the company, the partner that we use have had over 100 inquiries from trainers. Uh, not all of them clearly would have come to fruition, but, but certainly trainers no look there's no three line work there's no obligation on the trainers to use it we just wanted to give them that we facilitated that opportunity for them and so we're delighted that as many as that have, have looked into it and uh work with them i know you know the, some high profile people have, have got vans through them the likes of uh mark wallace for example so it's great that, that that we know that it's worked it's been it's been successful um we just want the trainers to 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 have the opportunity to to get the vans through them if they wish to do so if they've already got partnership belts we're absolutely fine but we just don't want the trainers falling foul of the, of the new legislation because it's key for the welfare that, that, that those vans have got the air conditioning in. Sure, sure. And then his, his second question is, uh, you attempted to have clocks installed at all tracks. Uh, this has obviously had issues. Do you plan on revisiting it? Uh, I think this is, this is one I've answered over over time. I think it was something I was quite keen to try and implement. There was no real appetite for it, which I was a bit disappointed with because I thought it was something um, that would be a benefit to, to sort of everybody having these at the tracks. But there, there was no real appetite either from uh, promoters, from um, advertisers. That's how that we were looking to fund it, having advertising on. So we put them in place. In, well, we put advertising boards in place for the Derby at Toaster. We put uh, a board in at Sheffield. Um, one has now gone into Yarmouth from 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 a company that we dealt with, um, and obviously there are one or two in place already at places like Crayford. But uh, no, it, in all honesty, it, just from a personal perspective, I was a bit disappointed because I thought it was something that would be that would be quite good. But no, there, there just wasn't really the appetite there for it from the industry. I How think it's that? really disappointing because to me. It's greyhound racing. It's a race. Time is is what you want to see. It's so important having that. I mean, I, how how much does it cost on on average to install something like that? So the ones we were looking at uh, were between five and seven k. Um, so you know, not a not not a ridiculous amount of money by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, like I say, there was just <laughs> I, I, I've got to say I was a bit disappointed because I thought it would have been good, but yeah, there wasn't the appetite there for it. I, Never ruled it out. Wouldn't say it's uh, totally dead, but but uh, you know, one or two tracks now I've got them, which is good. And if we can try and get a few more to have them, then great. But um, yeah, yeah, we shall see. Fingers crossed. I mean, surely you could do something across five years there as a sponsor. I I don't know. Crazy. That doesn't seem that prohibitive to me, cost wise. And uh, no. I think it's no. I think it's really important as a fan and also trying to appeal to an audience. You're trying to the kids these days. 
I can't believe I've just said that phrase, actually. That makes me very <laughs> old. Um, kids these days. You know, it's all about times, data, uh, you know, loads of data. You look at the data you get for other sports now. It's it's crazy. It's it's overkill, really. Yeah. But, no, uh, you're absolutely right. You and, know, and, you get you, know. you get the, a greyhound race and you can't see what time they've done straight away. I mean, it's just that's quite frustrating to me. Mm. And uh, I'm surprised that you've, uh, to be honest, I say I'm, I'm not surprised that there, there's been limited interest from certain people to, to get that done but it's, yeah, it's frustrating I mean, as career. usual of course when I came out with this I got knocked for bringing up the idea but then of course when it didn't happen I got knocked for not implementing it so sometimes <laughs> you can't win but there we go yeah there you go and then the last question from Mark he said uh, have you attempted to use the buying power of trainers to get um, you know uh, reduce costs of things economies of scale ultimately by maybe um, you know using your power to I think he's referring to like dog feed for example yeah yeah no that, that that's a good question it's something that was looked at um I think it was earlier this year. There was um, with with the whole cost of living crisis. There was there was a a group set up looking into where potentially um, more assistance could could be made, particularly for trainers. And I wasn't I wasn't actually on the group, but but obviously I got involved because there was aspects of it, such as um, you know looking at feed companies to see if they could do uh, one one drop deliveries, but. <laughs> In all essence, there was a couple of things that the food company said, well, in actual fact, the pricing wouldn't be that different. Um, but then also there was practicality issues. You know, you have to have somewhere to store it that's secure. You can't have, uh, you know, animals getting into it. it, it um, there then had to be some kind of distribution on it. Who was going to manage that? Who would then issue the, the feed to the trainers when they came? Um, then, of course, there would have to be uh, the, the, the costings of it. So, um, and how they would be charged. So, yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it was a you know one of the things that was looked at. But I suppose the primary reason was that there wasn't actually a, 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 a much of a cost reduction from the feed companies for doing it. Uh, we looked at bedding as well on a similar basis, um, and I know certainly they looked at other areas. I've, I've looked at, for example, utilities and whether we can assist trainers in terms of um, heating and lighting in the kennels, and certainly some of the bigger ones. Um, that's something that we, we, we've got a partner there that we're looking at. We've got a solar partner now. So that's something that uh, I'm speaking some of the tracks about, about implementing uh, solar panels on tracks because you do see them at a lot of stadium now because they've got a lot of roof space. So that Power can generate funding funding for them and, and also it can it can reduce their own electricity bills. So um, again, just another area that we get involved with in, in, in that sort of thing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mm. I think that's it, Mark, um, from our questions. Is there anything no you wanted to get off your chest or anything that you wanted to discuss? No, no, it's, it's been good. I think we've covered a pretty wide ranging uh, areas there, which is great. Um, as you can see, probably and, and hopefully gathered from it, we again, coming back to the fact that, that, that we're a small team, you have to wear a lot of hats and you get involved in a lot of different areas. And that's that's the way it is. Um and that 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 actually can be can be very enjoyable because it's very interesting because you you're cutting across a lot of things, uh. But ultimately, my you know the key part of my role is is what we spoke about earlier, and, and ensuring that that where we are with uh, from a commercial perspective that we've got the right deals in place with the partners that we've got those relationships, um, to make sure we're building them for the future. So, um, everything else, yes, it's important, but but they're the key bits for me. Great, and it sounds like we can expect some um, some exciting announcement coming up as well with the the report. Obviously, the the digital strategy that that's coming out soon. So, you know, there, there's lots to look forward to as well, and we'll await um, you know announcements, and hopefully, it'll affect all the stakeholders in ground racing in a in a positive light. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the report should, like I say, should be this month, um, which would be good. be good to get that out, certainly pre-Christmas. And, uh, yeah, a lot, as ever, an awful lot going on. Um, for us, it's all about, you know, um, making the whole cake bigger. Funnily, you, you said something earlier, actually, Danny, about frustrations. I think one of the frustrations is that people are often so um, introvert in terms of they want to hang on so desperately to what they do and... and Sometimes you've got to try and open their eyes a little bit. Say, look, we're trying to grow the whole sport and therefore your piece of that will grow with it. Hmm. Um, but there's, yeah, that, that that's uh, another conversation that we have along the way. Well, I have to say you have been positive, optimistic about the sport. Absolutely brilliant to talk to, Mark, as well. So really glad that you uh, have taken the time out to chat to us here on Gone to the Dogs. It's been, it has been great. Thank you so much. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, follow at Totally Betting and at Danny V. Jackson. Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voiceover by Katie Harvey.